Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good Monday morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. We look forward to spending our time with you this week. And um, we have one of our favorite guests that's going to join us in a moment. But before we do that, I just, I got, I had to say it. Now, there's it's a movie out there. There's a lot of controversy about it, but I went to see it and I, I we quite enjoyed it. Uh, the Woman King uh, did a lot better at the box office. This uh, Viola Davis's latest movie um, did a lot better at the box office, about 25% better at the box office than some people anticipated. But they still have a ways to go to make up. I think it made 19 million dollars this weekend, but I think it cost 50 million dollars to make. But it was very, very interesting. So please go see it. In the meantime, we welcome back to the show our warrior princess, immigration attorney Nadine Brown. Good morning, Nadine. How are you doing? Oh, no. Oh, wow. Okay. I've got to check and see what's going on with Nadine because I know she was looking forward to being with us this morning. Oh, Nadine. Hi. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Welcome back. I'm doing good. Just, uh, as you say, running and gunning, trying to get it together. Mm-hmm. I know that's right, especially with the latest stuff going on. So uh, let's get started with that. Um, you know, I, I when I was growing up, I thought Florida was one of the friendliest places on earth, open to everybody. And it seems that there are some folks that just have a hard time being gracious and welcoming and, and uh, you know, giving people the right guidance and steering them, you know, the wrong way. And there's like a lot of selfish and political agendas involved, in my opinion. I'm saying that because I know some people may feel otherwise. But um, we have uh, just participated in uh, one of those situations where uh, we're, we're, you know, telling people you're not wanted here. And, uh, you know, unless you've got, I guess, unless you're affluent. Um, let's talk about that, the sending of people to Massachusetts from Florida. So it's um, extremely tragic and heartbreaking to know that, yes, Florida should be a warm, not just climate, but welcoming place. And, you know, we have a lot of um, tourist attractions and theme parks, and we want to generate revenue and, you know, increase um, our, uh, uh, I guess, the the atmosphere of hospitability, um, especially because hospital management, 
hospitality management, sorry, is at the forefront of a lot of the industry that we provide, both in Central Florida and throughout South Florida in particular. Um, we've been a haven for a lot of uh, immigrant communities coming to resettle um, from the Near East, the Far East, and, you know, the Caribbean. Um, so it's it's extremely heartbreaking and disappointing to know that we're in the public eye, uh, not for a good reason in many people's opinions, uh, not just yours, but, um, you know, what everybody has heard and what our governor is claiming, um, it should not be a feather in his cap, but is extremely distressing and disquieting. Um, you know, we're a country of immigrants, one, and, and Florida being, uh, you know, close to the Caribbean where you have a lot of people coming in from uh, Latin America, South America, and the Caribbean, as well as um, other places around the globe that are in distress or trying to resettle refugees. Um, it does not look good, um, you know, publicly or politically uh, for him to pull a stunt like this. So, and, of course, you know, what happened is there weren't actual people in the state of Florida but who were, I guess, planned to reunite or reunify with family members that are here, particularly in South Florida. And my understanding is that it was uh, Venezuelan individuals coming seeking asylum um, and so just diverted them using our resources uh, to Martha's Vineyards in Massachusetts um, to, I guess, avoid an influx, not that you can ever really stem the tide of, of immigration uh, to this country. Um, but, you know, that's essentially what happened. And we're supposed to have policies for family reunification. We're supposed to have open enough borders that individuals who feel that they're being oppressed in their countries of origin or who are fleeing natural disaster uh, or war, man-made disaster, can seek safe haven here through the Geneva Convention um, as an um, asylum applicant. Uh, so all of those has been kind of uh, ignored, and we've just presented ourselves uh, as a, you know, state of being inhospitable and unwelcoming to people who are in need. Um, and if you're a Christian and you're supposedly supported by the Christian right, then that is kind of contrary to what, um, you know, the, the teachings of Christianity uh, purport. So it's troubling on many levels, not just politically, uh, not just personally, um, but faith-based organizations should be upset by this, uh, you know, entire episode. Uh, which has marred, I think, the character of the state of Florida and the governance. So there's some question I saw in one article whether or not this was actually legal for the governor to do. What do you, what do you know about that? So it's one of those things where, you know, people do things every day in our lives. We make choices and decisions or uh, take actions, and then we either encounter, you know, some barrier um, or a consequence that tells us that whatever we did in the past or what we're planning to do is not acceptable, either legally or morally. And the only way to really make that determination is through the courts. Um, so if, you know, someone challenges like all of the 
the uh, human rights organizations or immigrant advocacy groups challenged that legal authority that Governor DeSantis believes that he had in court to reverse or have an injunction, which is essentially an order restraining him uh, from further action or to reverse his action um, and sanction him in some form or fashion, then that's the means by which uh, they would make that, quote, unquote, illegal or unconstitutional. That means that he's exceeded his authority or went outside the bounds of what he's permitted to do as a law enforcement officer of the state of Florida. For every governor that governs in their state, they're essentially um, given the authority to enforce the laws uh, within their jurisdiction. That means within their physical geographic borders, and that has been granted to them by the United States of America. So if he has, by sending our resources to, you know, the independent contractors or companies that flew those uh, immigrants, um, then the courts will make a determination as to whether or not he's exceeded his legal authority and, you know, maybe he needs to reimburse the state of Florida for those funds that were used um, inappropriately. Uh, so that's, you know, whether it's legal or not legal, unconstitutional, those are questions for the court to determine, and it's based on whether or not, you know, organizations or individuals bring a lawsuit against him. Typically, uh, there's sovereign immunity for a lot of government authorities or entities to say that they're insulated from being sued, um, but only insofar as it relates to their executive authority. So in, in that respect, is you know, you can't sue you know, somebody as an individual, but in their official capacity as governor, did he exceed his authority? And that's where, you know, the American Civil Liberties Union or other immigrant organizations may um, get involved to file a lawsuit against him to make it known that what he did was extraordinary and unconstitutional. Um, so the, and that has yet to be seen. You know, was it shocking and um, an extraordinary, you know, public display of, you know, malicious intent? Yes, it was probably in the, the eyes of the public. Um, and for people that he's, I guess, catering to who probably have the same opinion as him when it comes to immigrants, um, you know, he may have considered a feather in his cap in his uh, running up to the 2024 elections, which he has uh, aspirations for. Um, but overall, that remains to be seen whether or not it's constitutional or unconstitutional. On its face, it looks like it was it was inappropriate and illegal. Um, but when the courts make a determination as to what he can do as governor, uh, that's when you'll get into the, the weeds and the details of what his actual authority is, whether or not he can, you know, intercede in, you know, trans, uh, you know, interstate, you know, um, I guess movement of people and, and what have you. I don't know the, the specific legal language, but um, it is cause for concern for sure, um, and it will probably play out in the courts in the coming um, days and months for certain. So I saw somewhere, and I'm, one of the things I'm looking at and I'm, I'm going to try to share with you all is a, uh, NPR article, but and I'm not sure if it was this article, but there was another article that stated that I guess they, the state, uh, the the uh, legislators, uh, along with uh, the governor, allocated 12 million dollars, I think it is, for this mm -hmm. type of uh, transport out of the state of Florida. 
um, in, in one of the articles, it shows it's that um, he's saying that it's a humane thing to do. Uh-huh. I so uh, yeah. Here it is um, as part of this year's roughly one point nine one hundred and nine state budget, which had bipartisan support. Uh, legislature allocated $12 million to facilitate the transport of unauthorized aliens out of Florida. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I just think that's a lot of money that could be better spent somewhere else. Like yeah, maybe, definitely. you know, maybe um, with this lovely hospitality industry that we have, maybe resettling these people so that, that maybe they can participate in the support of that hospitality industry, you know, I mean, shoot, I'm sure they yeah, don't want to work. There's a lot of people out there that don't want to work, and and so we got all these shortages in the restaurant right. industry. Don't want to work, industry. can't can't work. I mean, hospitality, agriculture, across the board, and we know that the infrastructure that is held the state of Florida and a lot of the United States has been immigrant workers, whether it's in our you know meat. Um, manufacturing and packing plants um, to, you know, agricultural resources, picking, trucking, um, nursing, um, or, or hospital management, um, food service. So uh, when you, you think about it, um, I think it's a gross mismanagement of funds, um, and that's why I would encourage people to vote. You know, it's like um, you're essentially your representative is is making an affirmative statement is this is how you want the state to spend their money and they it's always a matter of perspective um whether it's humanitarian or not i don't know how it's humanitarian to just dump people um who are looking for an organized system of um acknowledgement of their grievances and you know what remedies they have when they're fleeing uh, in desperation, either oppression or poverty or, you know, warfare. Um, so the money, in my opinion as well, could have been well spent otherwise. There are other needs that we have. Um, if not, you know, education and training, health care is a major issue. Um, education is a major issue um, that, you know, we're, we're grappling with, not just in our state but in others as well. And, and for, for him to do this... Um, I think is an egregious, you know, overreach and a um, misappropriation of, of funds. But the legislators are are seem to have been um, in collusion, if not, you know, in support of that. So when people who are authorized and able to vote, um, you know, cast their ballots uh, for the midterms or for 2024, they need to consider that it's not just a single issue, but across the board, how are these individuals representing your interests and the interests of everybody in society? Um, whether or not you agree that, you know, immigrants should come here or the reasons that they're coming here, there is a process, um, you know, and there are reasons that you may not understand that, that people seek uh, safe haven and a better life. Um, so it's it's very concerning, and, and the appropriation of funds is also to be considered, you know, what's happening with our budget, where our revenues are going, you know, who is doing what. I mean, you know, climate also, climate change is a, is a big issue. So it's if that money could be spent in education or health care or for the climate as opposed to a, you know, political flash in the pan because I'm trying to run for, you know, 2024 and I want to um, – 
you know, energize my base and, and, and be as cruel as possible uh, because this is a, an issue based on xenophobia or just, you know, out and out uh, racism, call it what it is, um, then, you know, people should be concerned, definitely concerned. That's what I like about you, Nadine. You tell it just as you feel like it is. <laughs> You're not afraid, and that's a great thing. You know, I think there's, you know, pe- more people that should speak up. You know, uh, you know, we, we've got to just not assume uh, that people are okay with this, you know, because a lot of people are not. And, then, yeah, there are some that are, and we like to hear why on both sides. So if you want to comment, the number is 516-387-1944. We're here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown. Nadine, I just need to let you know, uh, so you might want to check it out. I was trying to go to your webpage. They're saying that your webpage is unsafe. So oh, no. let's. <laughs> so we gotta work it's, it's on that. It's probably just, update. It's probably updating. Oh, okay. All right. So we because we know that's not the case. So no, anyway. Yeah. Sometimes it's the browser and and but the information is there. I think Firefox is the best um, as opposed to Google. But sometimes it's updating in the time of day that you go. Um, uh-huh. May have may have a, a the reason why you get that message. Okay. All right. Just wanted to just didn't know if you knew, but I wanted to make sure that that you knew. But mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure everybody else knew that that was not the case. So mm-hmm. um, your your Facebook page is fine though. Just want to let you yes. know. <laughs> Thank you. So so what um, can you tell me in terms of the difference? Uh, and I think we all kind of assume we kind of pretty much feel in our hearts we know. But what is the difference in terms of how the different 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 immigrants? are being handled that come into our state? And is there a case to be made um, in court for discrimination in terms of how the different immigrants are being handled when they come into our state? So a lot of um, policy has to do with um, the geopolitical climate, what is happening in the world around us, um, you know, to our south and also in the Middle East. Um, as many are aware that we had the issues with the Afghan refugees when we were pulling out because of uh, the congressional mandates for uh, reducing um, boots on the ground and, um, you know, uh, completely uh, leaving. And, and what we did, we saw the same plight with the Iraqi refugees that were 
um, resettled through the Office of uh, Refugee Resettlement and through UNHCR, which is the United High Commission for Refugees. So, you know, each nation has their allocation or the amounts of refugees that they accept from different parts of the globe based on what's going on. We've had, you know, like I said, the Iraqis, we've had Afghanistan, we had the Syrian crises, um, we have Ukrainian uh, immigrants or refugees coming through um, to our south. We've had political turmoil in Colombia and Venezuela, obviously in Haiti um, with both the, the earthquakes and and uh, the natural disasters, um, hurricanes, as well as the political plight of the assassination of their um, uh, you know, president and leader. Uh, so we have p different people coming in for different reasons, and they have different policies um, through Congress that will designate certain countries as what is called temporary protected status based on the timeline of events. So certain individuals can come in from certain countries, and they're designated as uh, temporary refugees, and so they can apply for temporary protected status. And every single application process has criteria or requirement conditions that um, must be met in order for those particular nationals to gain um, status in the U.S., either on a temporary basis or on a permanent basis, and also work authorization as a collateral benefit um, of being here under those conditions. So we've had them for the Iraqis. We've had them even for, like, people from, you know, Liberia and Sierra Leone. And, and so, you know, it's global issues that are happening um, there is a case to be made that there is some level of discrimination only because of the political polarization that is that is existing now in the United States and kind of has been an undercurrent for a very long time. But, you know, with the past um, presidential administration, which um, it was not hidden, it was very overt, um, that they were not friends of immigrants and whether it was, you know, through a very colonialistic, uh, paternalistic lens, um, uh, you know, we kind of fanned the flames of hostility towards immigrants, especially um, brown and black immigrants, um, because, you know, the, the former president wanted to get rid of Puerto Rico and, and, and you know, bring in uh, uh, Norwegians and Swedish and, and uh, people from Greenland. Um, so it's, it's not been, you know, hidden that the, the impetus has been to, kind of sanitize the United States from the Mexicans and Central and South Americans that have been consistently coming because we're their closest neighbor, people from Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, um, now Colombia and Venezuela because of the political turmoil and chaos that's happening in those countries. Um, so can you make a case? Anybody can sue anybody for anything in court. The issue will be does it have merit and will it last? Um, the entire you know process of uh, getting an outcome or decision, or will it be dismissed because it's uh, meritless or a frivolous um, lawsuit? But with immigration policy, it depends on the geopolitical happenings um, that are going on in current events. It depends on you know uh, American interest, um, political, um, you know financial. Uh, as well that will motivate how and when different individuals are able to enter. With Florida, for the longest while, um, 
our primary immigrants had been Haitians and Cubans because they're our next neighbors, um, you know, uh, you know, across the Caribbean Sea. Uh, and so there's been policies specifically made for Cuban entrance, the wet foot, dry foot policy, as different and opposed to, you know, Haitian immigrants that are coming. Also the legacy and history in each of those countries, Cuban um, primarily coming from uh, a communist-based country, which, you know, the United States has um, – uh, geopolitical issues against because of its former, um, uh, you know, Cold War era um, policies with with Russia and, and communist China. So, um, for trade reasons, for political reasons, different immigrants will be treated differently because of where they're coming from and then what their issues are. So there there is that, and then there is that underlying current of we don't want to, you know. We don't want to be overrun by brown and black people because at the end of the day, you know, our our political um, needs or our political power and strength is going to be undermined the more people um, that are unlike the majority or former majority uh, is here. So I think there's uh, political underpinnings to some of the policies, but it's also based on, you know, what are our interests? So what are we hoping to gain? Who can we help? How much can we help? Um, you know, what infrastructure do we have to organize people uh, into groups so that they can get visas and they can get work authorizations, they can learn the language and assimilate as best as possible to become, you know, contributing members of society. So it's it's a very complex and complicated um, area immigration is, and there's rhyme and reason for why things are done the way that they're done, but at the end of the day is how are we helping people and what um, image and identity are we trying to project to the world? Uh, and, you know, recent events have been that we have been extremely inhospitable, extremely unwelcoming. Um, there is a border crisis. There's no denying that, but it's what way forward if we can't get it together and decide that we need immigrants um, and how do we orderly process them uh, so that they can feel comfortable and we can and we can you know reap the benefits of having immigrants as a part of our society? I think <laughs> I think we all need to take a history lesson and and I and I see you know we are all that's another issue that we're dealing with in terms of uh, not wanting to have a. a accurate history because it makes make some people feel bad but we really need to have a history lesson to remember that the the well assumed majority or whatever did not necessarily originate from this area i think okay. con- the context context is key um history is key perspective is key um you know, it's it's important that, but when people feel that they're out of control, that they're, they're losing power, they try to grasp and hold on, and they really don't have an understanding of humanity. Period, even their own. So you, ha- you know, it's it's people's lack of knowledge why many of us perish, um, either because mm-hmm. they're in a state of denial or they're just so power hungry and can't see past themselves to understand somebody else and that's what i think is is epidemic and that's what the power structure and people like ron DeSantis or gregory abbott um governor of the state of texas that's what they're fueling and they 
really thrive on other people's ignorance. That's how they get into office. That's how they stay into office. That's how they maintain and toe the line for the legislations that, you know, they want to pass. And the prevailing thought is if you're ignorant about your own history, let alone other people's history, then I'm going to stay in power for as long as I can. And so that's why mm-hmm. we're in the climate of divisiveness and polarization as we can. We can all acknowledge the atrocities of history's past, but what is problematic is do we allow them to maintain and stay in the present and also um, indicate how and where we go in the future. And the thing is, at some point, we need to break that cycle. Right. Well, I mean, the reason I bring up history, though, too, is that, you know, um, I think that people have forgotten, some people anyway, not necessarily everybody, that the, you know, because people are worried about, uh, people taking advantage of our wealth and, and our prosperity, you know, and, uh, and the thing about it is you got to look at how that wealth and prosperity was built. That wealth and prosperity that the majority of this country has has been on the back of slaves, has been because of the blood, sweat, tears, flesh, bone uh, of slaves, of indentured, indentured servants, um, all of that type of stuff. So it's not like, you know, pe- people came here and they brought a lot of wealth with them or they were automatically wealthy because of the work that they did on their own. There are people who suffered to make this country wealthy, the people that get discriminated against the most. And part of the reason that they don't want to teach the, the history is because they don't want to be reminded that they didn't do it on their own, you know. I would say that to a great extent that is true. Um, you also have to look at the perspective of the oppressor. Is like what does it profit them if they're revisiting history to know how they got to where they are? They are just where they are. Um, so it's like when you know you look at both sides of it, not to excuse the behavior, but it's like yes, they've profited incredibly, and so now it's well, this is unfair <clears throat> to say that you know immigrants need to come and and continue to reap the rewards and where we have, you know, dwindling resources and, you know, our natural gas is, is drying up and, and you know, we have scarce resources, so we need to allocate and we need to hoard for ourselves. And unfortunately, that's the way that a lot of people think and not just that, but the emotional aspect of um, why do I need to constantly be reminded of, of you know, what has happened in the past. Um, and those are all legitimate statements to make, but, we mm-hmm. need to know how we got to where we are, and so how do we move forward. So the past will always be the past, however you look at it, which which lens you look at it, whether people mm-hmm. got enriched because of other people's hard work or um, enslavement and, and um, you know, torture and oppression. Um, those things happened. Uh, we can't mm-hmm. deny them regardless of how you rewrite history. We're obviously here for a reason. A lot of us um, and our ancestors, not voluntarily, um, mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it's an, an emotional desire to deny the past, um, but mm-hmm. it's, okay, how do we move forward? And it's not just you that's here, but everybody else, that we should be inclusive. Um, and right. that's what well, the problem is. Yeah, because it's not a necessary, it's, it's not a thing that's saying, okay, 
we should deny our past, or it's not necessarily saying that we need to keep continuing to bring it up. But when you still have a certain segment of people or a variety of people that are still suffering the effects of what happened, then, you know, instead of just denying it, say, okay, I, I acknowledge this occurred. How do we reach some sort of common ground so we don't have to keep revisiting it? Because part of the issue is that there are issues that are still not resolved. Some people think they are resolved. Some people aren't, aren't suffering because of what happened in the past. Some people have benefited. Other people, though, um, and and the reason I'm bringing this up because this is going to come the way we treat other people that are coming in here now, legal or illegal, uh, is going to come back to bite us um, in the future if we don't deal with this in an appropriate way. You know. So, I, I uh, would you know, I would agree. It's essentially it's like re-traumatizing people and not understanding the the after effects of it. Um, but here is what we 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 need to do to kind of change the script is you're asking people to acknowledge something that they refuse to acknowledge. So it's like, okay, well, we're here now. How do we move forward and make this more equitable for everybody and not traumatize people so that the our legacy will now have to deal with the bad decisions that we made because we were exclusive and that we were, you know, malicious in um, the policies that we implemented. So it's how is it humanitarian to just dump people on another state who is also in your union, who is supposed to be like a brother to you, um, and and that's where the the discussion needs to start because constantly telling people what they need to acknowledge is not going to get them to acknowledge, especially since they these are people who double down on their own theory, double down on their position, are entrenched in their ignorance um, about how the world should work, um, and that there are other people here. And remember that a lot of the policies under the Trump administration was is from a exterminationist perspective. So, I mean, we have leaders in the world who are still bent on genocide, which is essentially eradicating whole groups of people. Um, we've had it throughout, throughout Africa. We've had it throughout the Middle East and the Near East, and then we're having it in Ukraine. So it's like the, the wars just don't just, you know, pop up um, for no reason. That People have motivations and intent. Um, and, you know, policies that they're implementing with weapons of war. So it's like, okay, how do we put a stop to this? And whether it's a benign, I'm going to just put you on a plane and dump you in the middle of the desert or dump you in another state versus I'm going to actually have warfare and tanks and, you know, shells launching, um, you know, from a different part of Russia to Ukraine and then there's, you know, the almost like a, a repeat of World War II um, events uh, leading up to, we need to say, okay, how can we change the discussion and are we trying to change minds or change policies or, or move forward? And we need to, to, to make people aware, one, not just of the historical context, but two, how do we move forward and that you have a right to vote as long as you have a right to vote and not be, you know, daunted or... Um, dissuaded from making your position and opinion known. We are here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown. If you have questions or comments, the number is 
1944. We're going to take a quick break, but before we go, um, just keep our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic in mind as Hurricane uh, Fiona is, is um, taking their taking its toll um, on those countries, and we um, it's predicted to become a Category Three hurricane um, later this week is moving back out into the ocean. But keep those people in mind, and let's hope that the storm diminishes and and doesn't hurt anybody um, else. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time, and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faith, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. So um, how how has uh, this turn of events impacted your business, Nadine? It really has not. Um, you know, people continue to come and seek the advice of counsel when they encounter, um, you know, the, the immigration benefits process. Um, so I do know that people are concerned just kind of the optics of how it looks and knowing that they're going to encounter hostile officers. I know that one of the undercurrents was that Department of Homeland Security officers were involved to a certain extent with the DeSantis and Greg Abbott stunt um, insofar as notices that were published for immigration court may have been erroneous or people were inputting incorrect information. Does that happen? Yes. Uh, From time to time you have data entry clerks, um, just like your call center representatives, who are not informed or um, you know, just out of malicious intent, may put wrong information. Then you have the public that is uh, somewhat ignorant of the the process, or you know, taking information from just an, a data entry clerk, um, and so you get a lot of confusion sometimes. So if you get a notice from the immigration um, uh, officer. Uh, whether it's Customs and Border Protection or Immigration Customs Enforcement at a port of entry or you're leaving a detention facility and you get a notice that you're supposed to appear in court, you know, on X day at X time, you need to check those records. If you don't speak English, it becomes problematic and you need to find um, a translator, interpreter, or an agency, uh, you know, a charitable organization that can help you read and decipher the notices that you get. Um, you know, about when and where to appear in court. And if there's ever a doubt, there's a number that you can call 
for the court information line and check with the alien registration or your case number to determine when and where you're supposed to appear. And if you have moved, then you need to notify um, both the Immigration Service and the court of your change of address. Um, so it's to make sure that everybody's on the same page and you, you are your best advocate. Um, whether or not you you feel that the system is against you or the system is too complicated, there are representatives like myself, um, other immigration attorneys, there are Board of Immigration Appeals um, representatives, um, certified representatives, organizations like Catholic Charities, Church World Services, um, Jewish World Services, uh, the Islamic Society, those places that can assist individuals whose um, first language is not English, um, and who may need uh, assistance in navigating the court process or understanding at the very minimum where and when they're supposed to be in a particular place to answer the immigration charges against them. For most people, it is you know, unlawful presence uh, in the state of Florida or in the United States. For other people, they need to have an asylum hearing, um, and so they need to know date and time and location. And when offices are closed, we still do have uh, closings of federal buildings and immigration court offices uh, for you know workflow interruptions due to um, the COVID pandemic, um, to inclement weather, to um, you know. Uh, you know, street closures or whatever events are happening on the ground near um, near the locations of the courts. So, um, you know, my office hasn't really uh, seen an uptick in, in anything other than people are always concerned, but it's to seek uh, the information that you know you do not have. Don't be intimidated, which is it's, it's very hard for a lot of people because they're unaware. They know that the United States is a very big place. It's very complicated. We're very paper intensive. And if you don't have a basic understanding of reading and writing in your own native language, it also is problematic and overwhelming uh, for you. But, you know, seek um, seek information. That's, a, that's also the beauty of the United States is that, you know, everything is a click away, whether it's on a website um, or you pick up the telephone and make a phone call to an organization or entity that is there to help and provide information and, um, you know, ask neighbors or friends that you trust um, who to go to. A lot of my referrals are actually word of mouth, not advertising, um, because, you know, I've been in the, the, the practice of immigration for quite some time, um, but it's just to, to, to seek the information so you're, you're, you're not lost um, in the bureaucracy, you're lost in ignorance because you don't know or you're afraid to find out because of what the outcome or consequences may be. Knowledge is power and applied knowledge is wisdom. I want to ask you just some basic economic questions with everything else going up, cost of food, cost of gas, cost of housing and everything. I'm sure some of the costs for getting through the process have, have gone up as well. Is is that the case? Some of the fees have increased, but that's primarily on the business side of immigration. So, um, you know, H-1Bs, L-1s, which are for uh, skilled workers and intercompany transferees of multinationals, those have increased. A lot of the family-based petitions have not. They have been kind of the same. Um, so those fees have not really uh, increased. So, you know, most of our immigrants are people working, you know, cash, um, gig workers, you know, cash tips or under the table. Um, if you happen to 
be fortunate and you have a work card, then you're also a Social Security, you know, tax-paying individual, and you're making some money or you have family members that can pool their resources. A lot of the communities are very resourceful and they will pool their resources. Um, sometimes people will borrow money, whatever they need to, if it's to pay for someone to complete the asylum application for them. But the asylum application in and of itself, there is no fee associated with it. Your, your work authorization generally is free. You may have to pay $85 for your biometrics, which is your fingerprints, to run a background check to make sure that you are not a security risk or have criminal issues that um, would make you a person of bad moral character. Um, but otherwise, it's you know the same fees that we've had uh, for at least the last you know five or so years on the family reunification asylum humanitarian TPS side of things, the DACA fees have remained the same for the most part. Um, but when it comes to like the business immigration side, that's where you see your your major fee increase because um, businesses um, have uh, the the capital resources able uh, to pay the fees and all. Also, to make sure that you know their workers um, are vetted and uh, skilled for the positions uh, for which they're being uh, hired. There are other industries that are experiencing shortages right now with um, employees, such as um, nursing and teaching. Um, in your specific area of expertise, do, are there enough immigration attorneys out there to, to service? those that are in need? So there are a lot of immigration attorneys um, people can find through the American Immigration Lawyers Association, uh, which is a, a national organization to which I belong. Um, most immigration attorneys belong to that organization. Some do not. Um, but like I said, word of mouth is probably the, the best tool that people can use to find somebody. Um, and, you know, we get inundated with a lot of, of applicants or people making inquiries, which is probably the first step in the journey to submitting an application. Um, uh, you know, uh, it just depends on, you know, what people are looking for, but I would say that there's, a, there's enough immigration attorneys. It's just making sure that you are connected to the the person that's a good fit for you, both language-wise and personality-wise, because not everybody is going to be personable. Not everybody is going to treat you, um, you know, with the level of respect that, you know, some people expect um, or with the professionalism. Uh, some people do take advantage in every profession. There are those individuals. Um, but there should be enough, I think, you know, I, I view the world as there's more than enough. I serve an abundant God, so um, there's going to be more than enough. It's just finding the right place for you um, if you're seeking certain services. There's certain cases I don't handle or people that I, I, I would not be a good fit for, so I may refer them on. Um, so there is always that, but it depends on what the individual's needs are and, you know, their geographic location, places like, um, you know, Seattle, Washington, and Los Angeles, and New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, California, um, other places in California, New York, uh, Florida, you know, Illinois, you're going to have an, an influx um, more of, of immigrants than, than anything else. So those places are going to have lots of immigration offices, Washington, D.C. Um, in particular, but um, it just depends on where the individuals are. Okay. All right. So what what um 
it's a shame, I, I, you know, I, I know we talk about the politics, but it, and it's a shame that the political climate has so much of an impact on how people are dealt with um, in, in the process. But give me some perspective. We, we have elections probably in less than 50 days or so. Um, how do you see uh, – the turnout of the election impacting what you know what your uh, job is one way or the other. I think a lot of people Florida, are some yeah. somewhat um, you know insulated, and midterms usually have the lower turnouts. You know, people um, tune to the news, so the national elections, um, your you know the the four year elections, the state senators going to Washington D.C. and uh, representatives and the you know, the presidential election is where people pay the most attention because the perception is that the president, you know, is all-powerful uh, in so many respects, and people don't have a good grasp of civics, which is that, you know, your legislature, we have, you know, three co-equal branches of government. And it's supposed to be checks and balances, both at the state mm-hmm. level and at the national level. So, you know, the the courts are impacted by, you know, county and circuit judges that are, that are running depending on their political affiliation. Some run as independent, some run as Republicans, some run as Democrats. Um, the political um, leaning or platforms are extremely important because it kind of gives you the background of, of the person's thinking, how they view the world. Um, but at the end mm-hmm. of the day, we have to think about, you know, all the different issues. We can't be single-issue voters because that's not what drives, you know, our well-being um, a, the abortion rights or choice issue is not applicable to everybody, but does it affect everybody? Most definitely because it's a health care and public health issue. Um, climate change is not, you know, the forefront of everybody's mind, but does it affect everybody? Yes, it does, because how we go mm-hmm. to our beaches, if we can go to our beaches, you know, what our seafood looks like on the plate, um, our agriculture, whether or not we use pesticides or don't use pesticides, has a profound impact um, on our food sources, our meatpacking plants, just like immigration should not be a single issue, but does it impact everybody? Yes, because we talk about food service workers, hospital workers, hospitality workers, um, you know, transportation workers are affected in, in different ways. So there's cross-sectionality or intersectionality of, of all of those issues. Um, so it will impact us in one way or another, the elections, midterms, or the national, and people need to stay focused on the overall um, view not just you know single issues here and there and how it's impacting me or or my faith walk um, in the world and how I want to dictate you know how other people live their lives because um, you know what's good for me may not be good for you but I have to think what's in the general welfare of everybody and that's what our leaders should be at least focused on and that's how I think we need to make decisions about who we elect um, regardless of party affiliation although that has an impact in um, their perception and the context, um, and overall, are they good people? Um, because they're governing for everybody, not just for a select few. Um, but you know, do the elections, you know, impact my practice? Um, not not generally, but I'm an advocate for 
you know, be knowledgeable, um, be aware, be engaged, be active if it's just casting a ballot and making sure that you know and investigate who it is that you're voting for and why you're voting for that individual. And, and you may be okay today, but your, your neighbor may not be, and you need to be concerned with why, because that's going to prevent that person from either asking you for stuff or needing your help, and we can all be charitable but to a certain point. Um, so it's it's important to be engaged, to be knowledgeable, to be functioning parts of society and member. And, and even if your opinion is different from mine, then you need to at least be able to justify why and how, um, you know, what you're doing is going to benefit not just you in your corner, but me and my household as well. So in... I guess you could say the months and I guess maybe a couple years ahead before the um, the next general election, what do you foresee to be the biggest challenges to your being able to assist immigrants, um, um, I guess, become American citizens? Uh, what do you foresee? And then also, is there a particular, I guess you could say, segment or sector of immigrants that are are challenged the most and why and how can they overcome that? Hmm. Those are very good questions, um, and I probably don't have very good answers to them other than, um, you know, public perception of who an immigrant is or what an immigrant does and how they benefit society I think is the the greatest obstacle to some of the work that I do because it's about changing people's perceptions. Um, and I'm tired of hearing, especially American citizens, oh, I didn't realize, or when I came in the 80s or the 70s, it was very different. And so people are entrenched in, and now somewhat hostile to um, newly arriving individuals because, again, they don't understand context. Um, and that we've always been a country of immigrants, and some of us involuntarily, our ancestors arrived, and what the, you know, colonization did to the world, and we are where we are because of things that happened in the past that were extremely tragic and and troublesome, from an economic perspective as well as from a social and humanitarian perspective. Um, so it's you know changing the opinions of people that we need not be so polarized against immigrants. Um, regardless of their color or their country of origin, because globally we can see that every society has had, you know, ups and downs, warfare and natural disasters and, and economic um, issues and how the United States has been a part and parcel of, um, you know, globalization and, and the global economy and being, um, you know, intertwined with others. So I think that's, you know, critical and important for people to understand that, that immigrants are not bad people. They are people, too, with different issues, um, different histories, uh, different stories, and they can integrate very well and assimilate um, and be, a, you know, functioning and contributing members of society. They're not a drain on our resources. We just need to learn to allocate the money that we already have and that we're generating and that immigrants um, contribute to our bottom line in many ways. Um, so that's important and critical. And when you're out there considering who to vote for or what to vote for, uh, against immigrants should not be at the forefront of your mind. Um, and the, I guess the, the, the second issue, um, the question that you had, I 
kind of lost, lost sight of, but um, it's just to know that, you know, treat people as human beings with dignity and respect and understand that diversity is not just in skin color or nation of origin, um, but it's, it's language and culture, it's religion, um, it's just thought process. And even if you disagree with something that I said, be able to justify and reason and have an understanding of my perspective as I do yours. Many immigrants are bicultural or have to be because they have their own country of, of origin and their cultures and their language and, and their histories that they're now bringing into the United States. Um, and if you don't know who you are, you have an identity or don't have an identity, then you need to, to find out uh, and, and start from that point when you're discussing and, and um, having a conversation about how to move forward. In in my personal opinion, and we need to stop spending so much money on trying to figure out how to colonize the moon and just take care of what we got here and take care of the people that we have right here. You know, because I know I'm not going. Uh, this is what God gave us, so I, we just need to take care of what God gave us, as far as I'm concerned. And that means yeah. not only the earth, but His people too. So, Nadine, how do we get in contact with you? So you can go to my firm website, and if you have the Firefox or um, uh, you know Google browser, it's nadinebrownpa.com, um, and you can also uh, email me, inbox me, esquirebrown at nadinebrownpa.com, and phone number is 407-678-2224. I'm still providing virtual services, uh, and it's uh, good to reach out just to um, inquire. Uh, information, which is uh, most of what I provide, and then take next steps um, should you meet all the criteria for the particular area of law which I serve, which is immigration, probate, wills and trusts, and family law, uh, divorces, and um, child support modification, et cetera, et cetera. I know you are terribly busy, but uh, do you go out to any places like uh, churches or community civic organizations and do presentations? I have in the past and when invited, I would be more than happy to discuss with, you know, congregations or groups, um, you know, to inform the public about what it is that I do. Um, and I've spoken to different organizations at different times, whether it's, um, you know, the League of Women Voters or, uh, you know, a particular church or, you know, Caribbean Student Association or International Student Association um, meetings and, and, and groups. And, yes, I'm, I look forward to educating the public about what I do and, and what immigrants bring to the United States of America. Okay, great. Glad to hear it. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time again, Nadine. Really, really know that you're busy, but I, I appreciate any insight that you can always give us on this. So thank you again, and have a blessed day. Be well. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Uh, this week we have uh, Tara Collingwood back, uh, the Diet Diva. She's going to give us some insight. I've asked her to give me some insight on supplements so we'll be talking about that and some other things as well that will be on wednesday so anyway thank you all for joining us this has been g's power hour on never had it so good entertainment i am your host g be well be safe be blessed and please remember all real power comes from god take care <laughs>